You know, in our society, there are a a lot, a plethora of ways to meet people and to relate to other people. And some of them are kind of interesting. Several years ago, I had a co-worker who we were talking over lunch, and I found out that he was involved with a group of people who formed a club. And it was a club around the Andy Griffith show. And he, he got real serious on this. They would meet regularly in various parts of the country and do Andy Griffith show stuff. Sometimes they would have a person who was an actor or actress on the show come up and, oh, there's Aunt B or there's you know, Barney or whoever. This guy actually owned a real-life replica of Andy's police car. And he would take it to these shows. Now, I don't know which one it was. I think it was one of the earlier ones. And then he said, and I checked it out, and it was true. Um, There's a motel called the Taylor Home Inn Bread and Breakfast. It's located in Clear Lake, Wisconsin. And it was made to be a replica of Andy's house. And you can reserve to sleep. You can reserve Opie's room. You can reserve Andy's room or B's room. There's a kitchen, a living room, and a front porch just like the show. And I was talking to him. I just went, it was interesting, probably a week before that, I was at home and something came up and it was some of the the real early Andy Griffith shows. And I watched, I thought it was the first one. I said, you know what? A couple weeks ago, I watched the first episode of that and told him about it. I couldn't tell you what it was about. Now he goes, oh no, that wasn't the first episode. That was the second. And he started to tell me the first episode. I mean, these guys just, everything was about Andy Griffith. On a different note, several years ago, Connie and I were fortunate enough to travel to Washington, D.C. to go to a BSU football game. And while in D.C., we saw and interacted with, you'd see a person on the other side of the street that had Boise State shirts on and stuff. And invariably, they'd wave, they'd smile. Hey, you know, we're comrades, right? In both of those cases, if you went to the Andy Griffith you know, I don't know what they called it, but the reunion type thing that they had. Or, like we did, saw like-minded people that were total strangers, never saw before. Guess what? You act as friends. You might be totally opposite on every end of the political or social, economic spectrum, no matter what. Now you're buddies. These are in two instances, and there's a whole lot more where total strangers meet and immediately there is a relationship because of a mutual interest. There is something that both groups can discuss without one party getting too bored. Because I tell you, if you'd have sat down with his coworker and he'd have started talking for about an hour and a half on Andy Griffith, you would have been yawning probably, right? <laughs> Unless you liked Andy Griffith. 
You know what? What do these things have to do with heaven? Well, they have more than you might think. Because in heaven, there is going to be relationships in heaven. Relationships with others. And we're going to go through what those relationships will be today. Everyone in heaven is going to have a mutual interest. And those interests are much greater and much more valuable than a TV show or a sports team or anything else. A rock club or a hiking club or whatever. First thing we'll see in heaven that we're going to introduce is we're going to have a relationship with angels. Now, when you think of heaven, probably that's the last thing that comes to your mind. You know, you're thinking of all this other stuff and angels is way down the list. But the Bible has many references to show that angels are in the presence of God. And as we read last week in 1 Thessalonians 4, we are going to be with the Lord forever. Angels are also with the Lord. So that that means that we will also be with the angels. Not the fallen angels, the ones that did not fall. So we're going to interact with angels. We will rejoice with them. Hebrews 12.22 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus. Now, the word innumerable angels is an interesting word. (coughs) It's Mariasin, which is the largest number that the Greeks used in in their vocabulary. You know, we can go 10 to the 100th power, 10 to the 1,000th power, 10 to the 2nd power. We can just keep on going on, piling on numbers, 10 to the whatever power. But the thing about it is, when we do that, and I've seen, I saw a guy quote a number 10 to the 64 billionth power or something. And um, we kind of lose how big those numbers are. We kind of lose it. Because the estimate is there are 10 to the 80th power atoms in the universe. And you think, well, only 80? You know. That's a huge number. And guess what? 10 to the 81st power is 10 times more than that. Anytime you add one, it it goes up. Big, 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 big numbers. So how many angels will be in heaven? Innumerable. We don't know. It's the largest number that you could use in the Greek language. Innumerable. A bunch. Now, remember... How many angels it took to kill 185,000 people? One. One? He did it overnight. MacArthur points out that angels are spirit beings. And I put the quote in your notes here. 
who have on occasion taken on the form of a human body as God directs them to. How will we interact with them? He says this, I don't find that to be a problem at all. I can interact over the telephone with somebody I can't see and will have the spiritual eyes that can perceive to what to us in the physical world is now invisible. Everything's going to be different there. But we will have some interaction with them. We will fellowship with them. You know, in this world, angels have done a lot of things. God's bidding, including even helping some of us. Hebrews 1.14 tells us this, that there are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. And then Hebrews 13.2 tells us that strangers, in strangers, some have entertained angels unaware. I've wondered about that on occasion. Have I ever done that? I don't know. But that's what we're told. It's very possible that sometime in the past, angels have been present in your life. And in mine. But we were unaware that that was taking place. In heaven, we will not be unaware. But very aware that angels are creatures, God's creation that we will spend eternity with. The other thing we will do is we will rejoice. We will rejoice with angels and join them in praising God. Now if we turn to Luke 15, there are three parables back to back to back in Luke 15. The first one is when the sheep was found in the first uh, six verses or so. The sheep was found, the lost sheep. The shepherd went out and found it, and then he said, quote, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep who was lost. That's verse 6. And then it goes on to say, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's joy in heaven when people become Christians. And then the second parable is the woman in the, in the, who found her coin. I should have brought a coin with me. I have one at home. It's a coin that uh, was used about then, about that time. And the thing is, it makes a dime look huge. Really, really small. And remember, they didn't have concrete floors or tile floors or anything like that. They had dirt floors, rock floors. And it would be pretty easy to lose a coin. I mean, this thing is just... Maybe I'll bring it next week and show it to you. Very interesting to think about that, how easy it would be to lose one of those coins. But she found her coin. In verse 9, she said, Rejoice with me. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then we have the story of the prodigal son. We could spend a whole hour on that but we're not going to but the fitting end of that is in verse 32 when the son comes back and the father prepares the fatted calf and has the big party it says it was fitting to this is the father said it was fitting to celebrate and be glad 
For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father and all his servants were called to the feast and they rejoiced. In each one of these cases, the father and the angels are rejoicing. Now to quote MacArthur again, I do that a lot because he's a good person to quote. Kind of like Spurgeon, you can get a lot of good stuff out of there. If He says this, If God and the holy angels rejoiced over our conversion, how much more will they rejoice over the completion of our salvation? Which is the purpose for which God set out to do in the process of redemption. That's an interesting question. I never thought about that one before. In Revelation 5, 16... (coughs) excuse me, 5, 6 to 13, the elders and the four living creatures in verse 8 are singing a new song. And in verse 11, they are joined by myriads and myriads of angels in verse 13. And joined by, quote, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all saying to him, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So it won't be just the redeemed who will be involved in this activity. I would suspect that as you imagine worshiping God in heaven with all the redeemed, you and I both didn't consciously think, well, the angels are going to be right there with us doing the same thing. But they will be. They'll be participating with us. And right now, they're ministering to us. We see this in Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. Where it says, referring to the angels, it says, are, all, are they all not ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And that's pretty amazing that God asked angels to minister to us. And as we see from Hebrews 1.13, it's happening now. It doesn't wait until we get to heaven. It's happening now. How will it continue in heaven? Well, we're going to find out. Then the next thing, I think this is really interesting... (laughs) 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3 says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know we are to judge angels? Now the word for judge here means to govern or rule. There will be things that we do in heaven that will be related to governing. And we'll cover more about this next week. We will govern angels. That's not something we think about too much either. The next thing we have after our relationship with angels is our relationship with our family. And this is perhaps the most asked question about heaven 
people want to know how heaven's how the relationship with the earthly family is going to continue in heaven. You know, someone to some want to keep the relationship they had with their life's partner in heaven, and some, quite frankly, uh, just as soon not. <laughs> and then there are those who have had multiple wives or multiple husbands due to death or divorce. How's that work? Some think it'll be weird. Be walking down the street, you know, that transparent gold street, seeing their wife, their husband, say, hey, hi, Connie, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, it's, it's kind of an odd thought. <laughs> Others think they will miss the family intimacy. Somewhat to see what their redeemed family will be like in a perfect state. Questions and thoughts come about because we are confused dimensionally. Will we have family love, like here, family affection, family fellowship? In funeral after funeral, even among Christians, people and even pastors, and I'm not saying ours, Talk about reuniting with loved ones, a departed spouse, spouse, children, parents, and such. What about that? Well, in heaven, everything will be perfect. There will be perfect love, perfect joy, perfect harmony, perfect trust, perfect fellowship, and perfect relationships in every single dimension of existence. It's hard to imagine that because it doesn't exist here. In heaven, there will never be a disappointment or a discouragement or never a should have or what if. About family, 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31 says this. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So what's passing away? The present form. The word for present means fashion or manner of life or structure. So what is in that framework that's passing away? Well, ownership. I've often thought it was kind of interesting how we can own land. Yeah, where'd that start? But anyway, that's something else. That's just some of the weird stuff I think about. Um, Families, laws. Hmm, We could go on and on. The point is that these things are temporary and will not be a part of the makeup of the eternal heaven. Heaven will be different, and a lot different. And thinking about the reunions in heaven with a spouse, a child, a parent, it sounds grand, doesn't it? But how about the Christian who is married to an unbeliever? Or those who had a child who rejected the gospel? Or parents who were lost? 
Will there be a sense of loss, a regret, or maybe even envy for the person who did have a believing spouse and children? I lost my spot. There it is. Clearly, it's not the case. You're not going to have envy. You're not going to have a sense of loss. The present form of this world is passing away. The relationships we have here will not be the same thing as the relationships in heaven. And the passage in 1 Corinthians that we read tells us not to become engulfed in the settings of this life because they will all change. It's all a part of framework that is temporary. Just like the new heavens and the earth, there'll be no more sea. Well, there'll be a bunch of stuff changing. We talked about that earlier. About family, the responsibilities of marriage and children can be wonderful. But don't ever get entangled so that your family becomes an excuse for your failure to serve God. That applies to everything else. Our job, our hobby, our goals. We are to lay up treasures where? In heaven. And this ties in with Jesus' answer to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 22. There they tried to trap Jesus. Now, good luck doing that. They failed every time pretty miserably, and they failed this time as well. They asked him about who would be the husband of the wife who had seven husbands on earth. Those who asked Jesus the question assumed that the structure of the life in heaven would be like the one here. Now the Sadducees, on top of all that, they didn't even believe in an afterlife, but they still asked Jesus that question. So as we look at, or if we look at family relationships, the question is not nearly as bizarre. Divorce, remarriage is commonplace here. If we have the same structure of life in heaven as we have here, that could get really confusing. To the question given him, Jesus gave a very clear answer. He spoke to the different form that will be in heaven, saying, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. The reason for the first marriage was that Adam needed a helper, so God gave him Eve. In heaven, no helper is needed. There will be no birth, no procreation. So there's no point in marriage. But like we said earlier in heaven, I will still be me, you will still be you, but everyone will be in a glorified form that we can't even fathom. For those who say, I love my wife. She's my best friend, my dearest companion, or I love my husband. Probably a lot less that say that. No, never mind. Um, He's my best friend. He's my dearest companion. Think about what it will be like in heaven when you have a similar best friend with everyone there, including your saved partner. Imagine how wonderful it will be to have the best of everything in a human relationship glorified to the point where you have it equally with everyone there. Marriage is for the framework of this world. It is for complementing man who needs a helper, complementing woman who needs a protector or provider. 
It's used to fulfill the desires of man and woman for procreation. In heaven, no one is in need of a helper. No one is in need of a provider like we need here. It's all different. And we will not be incomplete without a wife or a husband. The companionship or the intimacy with another person, the fa- like the family we have here, will not be needed. Because our completeness will be with everyone. And it's hard to understand. It's hard to fathom because it's so different. But in a perfect environment, we will need no one to compliment or to fulfill us. So we'll know what's going on there, but it's going to be totally different. There's not going to be the regret or the looking over at somebody else. Well, look what they have and look what I don't have because everyone's going to have the same. Now, kind of related to that, and I had someone ask me this question before we started this class. Kind of related, and we're going to go, we're going to go off script a little bit, but that's okay. Related to this family relationships, relationships in heaven is a question that many have about heaven. Perhaps it has crossed your mind, and you don't have to say it has, because you might be embarrassed if it has. What about our beloved pets? What about our beloved pets? One person questioned this, and this was their question. And you start to understand they have no idea what heaven's really like with this question. I would rather be with my pets than people. (laughs) Sometimes that's true. Will pets be in heaven? That question is way off base. First, it's all about me. And second, it grossly fails to understand that the relationship between people will be far different than any relationship that exists on earth. You wouldn't rather be with Fluffy. When a person researches this question, if you want to go out and research it, knock yourself out, you'll find a billion different answers. Some are well thought out, and a lot of them try to give people the answer that they want, which is most always a yes. It's kind of like all these false prophets that are out there today, and I could quote a couple of them I have in the past. They give you answers you want to hear. And there's one that says, oh yeah, there's pets in heaven. No problem. Because they know that's the answer that was wanted. A couple things come to my mind. And so I want to discuss it real quickly. And we got to remember, you know, some pets are very beloved. Other pets, not so much. Right? I'm glad that cat is gone. Well, I'm glad that dog is gone. Um, and, and people have bizarre pets. Um, as you know, I'm helping my son with a, with a firework stand, and I was sitting in there this week, and a guy literally came in with a snake wrapped around his neck. And the name was Georgina. Um, it was about that long. He feeds it rats. He said, oh, it's the best pet in the world. Uh, no, no thanks. <laughs> right? So, I mean, people have all kinds of pets, right? But some pets are very special and they find their way into our hearts. Some can really, if you could use this word, minister to us, calm us down. Uh, they show us 
unconditional acceptance and love. I think I heard I, I saw a, uh, a bumper sticker sometime or something. You know, help help me be the help me be the man my pet thinks I am. <laughs> now, because you know you can treat them really badly, and you come home after a day's work, and they're they're jumping up and down to say hi. So the, first of all, the Bible does not give us any specific... I put some of these notes in your notes so you can have it. The Bible does not give any specific teaching on whether or not pets will be in heaven. As such, there is no overarching teaching on the subject. Some people will say yes, and some people will say no. There are indications that there will be animals in heaven. God created the animals on the fifth day. Uh, birds and sea creatures on the sixth day he created beasts and livestock and everything that creeps on the ground and Isaiah 11 6 and 65 25 speak of the animals that will be present on earth during the millennium now animals and pets are not the same thing the other thing that I think about is animals haven't sinned now your dog might not follow your advice your cat definitely will not follow your advice <laughs> but that's not sin it's not sin they have been impacted by sin in that they're part of the creation that was cursed when Adam sinned you can see Genesis 3 we can also go to Romans 5:12 it says therefore just as through one man sinned into the world and death through sin so death spread to all men because all sin. So the animal die because of us. We caused it. Man's sin caused it. And Romans eight nineteen to twenty three says this: For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We groan for heaven, and so does creation. We groan for this sin to be gone. And from, I, I, I think I put the, the website in there. I, I looked up gotquestions.org, which is not a bad site to get you know, some answers to or some, some, you know, some, some ideas it says the Bob book that God the Bible says that both man and animals were created and have the breath of life and they're both living beings. The primary difference between human beings and animals is that humanity is made in the image of God, where animals are not. And then they wrote this if animals do have an immaterial aspect, it must therefore be of a different quality. They don't have an eternal soul that needs to be saved. Another factor to consider is that animals are part of God's creative process in Genesis. When God created the animals, he said they were very good. 
Therefore, they say this, and I think, again, they're trying to give people an answer they want a little bit. There's no reason why there could not be pets or animals on the new earth. There will most definitely be animals during the millennial kingdom. And then they said, we can't, and I, I think I wrote this, I don't know if they did. We cannot be dogmatic, and I said, no pun intended, um, <laughs> that, there, if there will, that if there will be pets we had here on earth, but as we saw with the family unit, everything will be changed from what we now know and relate to. With that being the case, I don't see us as having our pets in a similar structure, regardless of not whether they will exist there. Now, will they exist? Um, you know, where do you stop it? Snakes? Birds? Bugs? I mean, you know, it, it, you, you're going down. You're going down a uh, a place that you know it just gets murkier and murkier and murkier. We know that God is totally just. That God will do whatever He wants for us for to to provide us with salvation. There will not be a sense of loss. And everything he does will be totally consistent with his character and will. We will not be longing, oh, I wish Fluffy was here. No, that's not going to even cross our minds. It's not going to cross our minds. But the other thing is sometimes God gives us pets to help us here. You know? They can make your blood pressure go down. They can also go do the other once in a while. But, <laughs> but you know, I have a dog that I go home and, you know, I can just, you know, tension goes away when he comes in most of the time, you know. And again, he doesn't sin. He is incapable of sinning. He doesn't mind all the time, but he doesn't sin. So there's just a few thoughts on pets. It's like everything else. We're not going to be wanting for anything. We're not going to be wishing, oh, part of me is missing. No, part of us isn't going to be missing. The next thing we're going to talk about is our relationship with other believers. As we've said a couple times, and I'll probably say it a few more times, I'll still be me and you will still be you. And we will know who I am and you will know who you are and uh, I was talking earlier, you know, when uh, when Peter, James, and John went to the Mount Transfiguration, they recognized who was there, didn't they? Moses and Elijah. How'd they know? Did they have pictures? No. They knew. They knew who it was. They were recognized by Peter, James, and John. And in 2 Samuel 12, 23, when David's baby died, he said that he would go to him. His baby would maintain his identity. Everyone there will maintain their identity and we will be a diverse group of individuals. Everyone's not going to be all the same. It's not going to be monogamous. Everybody's the same. No, we're going to be who we are. 
In Luke 22, 15 to 18, at the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. <coughs> Excuse me. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given it, when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus was telling them that they would be together again in the kingdom and that they would fellowship again as, individu- as the individuals they are. Also in Matthew eight eleven, Jesus said, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In Revelation 19, 6 to 9, we read, And I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Well, if it seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, it probably was. Like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord Our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready and was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The saints of all the ages are the guests, and we will be there, if you're a believer, we will be there as ourselves in perfectly glorified form. There's nothing to indicate anything but an identity of everyone in heaven. Now, there's another similar question that's been asked a lot. And will we be reunited with loved ones? And this kind of ties into that family thing. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18... We are told that the dead in Christ will rise and they will come first. And then we who are alive will be gathered with them, gathered with them, and will go up to heaven in a cloud. Then it says in verse 18, comfort one another with these words. It was a comfort to the people in Thessalonica because it talked about this reunion with the other believers that they had known. So yes, there's going to be reunions in heaven. That's fine. But it's going to be a different state. It's a different quality of who we are. To be together with those, again, who love Christ, whether immediate family members or non-immediately family members who are Christians will bring comfort and hope and should bring comfort and hope. We will have a glorious reunion with the redeemed when we go to be with the Lord. What kind of relationship will we have? <coughs> Let's go to Revelation 21.4. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It will be a fellowship without tears, without separation, without sorrow without anxiety. We're going to have relationships like we've never, ever experienced. 
because we're experiencing relationships now with fellow sinners. Now the next thing, the last thing we want to talk about in relationship to heaven is our relationship to God himself. MacArthur says this is the greatest aspect of heaven. We talk about all these other things. The greatest aspect, he says, is our relationship with God. The Apostle John defines salvation in 1 John 2, 1, 2-4, saying, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. So salvation brings us into fellowship or to communion with God. We pray to Him. We did that when we started the class today. We hear Him speak through His Word to us. We live in real spiritual communication or communion with God. But it's hindered in this life. It's not full. In heaven this will change and we will enter into an unhindered fellowship with God. This is the answer to the prayer of Jesus in John 17. John 17, 24, Jesus prayed this. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. If you're a believer, Jesus prayed for you right here. It's amazing to me. Think about it. We have, we have God, the second person of the Trinity. His desire is to have eternal fellowship with us. Here we see the perspective of Jesus. When a believer dies and goes to heaven, it fulfills the desire of Christ. You can just sit there and just go over that sentence about three or four times. It fulfills the desire of Christ. And after this, we're told why. Jesus says that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. MacArthur stated that what Christ is looking forward to is that each believer will be with him. To be with him means that we will be more than just spectators. We will be participants with him. In John 14, Jesus had just told his disciples that he was leaving. And they were troubled. And then he told him in verse 1 of John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I mean, he was Jesus was their leader. I mean, they were just a bunch of you know, without him, they were they were not a very you know, solidified group at all. Then Jesus went on to say, "In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I Go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The main thing in heaven is not that we are going to a place. We are going to be with Christ in his eternal glory. 
that makes that incredible new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem kind of pale in, in comparison. And then we are going to see him as he is. 1 John, back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet what, what, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The best picture you can get of what Jesus is like is go read Revelation chapter 1. But the passage starts in 1 John 3 of who we are now. That is children of God. And then it says what we will be has not yet appeared. We will see him as he is. We will be like him. Earlier we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4 the comfort that was given because they would again see their brothers and sisters in Christ who have died in the Lord. But there's another portion of comfort in that same passage. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, it says both peoples, the peoples that have died and the people that are still alive at the coming of Jesus will always be with the Lord. Always be with the Lord. And when we are going to be with Him, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. You know, a lot of Christians may think that when we get to heaven, seeing friends or relatives will be the greatest joy. That'll be great, but not the greatest, not by a long shot. The greatest reunion will be with our Savior. So now, wait a minute. You said something that didn't quite add up to me. You said what? We will be. <laughs> Sorry. You said we will always be with the Lord, both Christians and non-Christians. Oh, no, no, not. I didn't say. Oh, I, if okay. I said that, I didn't mean it. I heard not it. what I said. I, 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 that's how my. Not what I said. What I meant. Non-believers won't be there. That's what I thought. Yeah. I I probably meant those who are alive and those who are who have already died. Probably. Yeah. Okay. I thought that's what I was thinking. So thanks for catching me on that. Okay, I don't know if I can. No, I, I say you know, I say a lot of things that start out here somewhat and come out here a little different. Okay. I think we all do. Thank you. You know, the Bible doesn't make much about the reunions with people. It alludes to it. It's gonna happen. But the main thrust about being in heaven is being with the Lord. And from today's perspective, from today's perspective, in one sense, thinking about being in continual communing fellowship with a holy God would be scary. Because there are things in our lives now that um, are not really things we want to expose to God, even though he knows about them anyway. But in heaven, all that sin is gone. And the state that we are in will be sinless perfection 
And we will be able to commune with an eternal, holy God without restraint. Richard Baxter wrote about this, and he said, As God gives us glorified senses and enlarged capacities, so will he advance the happiness of those senses and fill up himself with all those capacities. And then, tied into this, you know, I said, we will see him as he is. Now, in Exodus 33, we see that you can't, you can't see the Lord and live. In John 1.18, in John, 1 John 4.12, it says that no man has seen God at any time. 1 Peter 1.8 says that we love the one we have not seen. And 1 Timothy 6.15 and 16 speaks to the invisible God. God is inaccessible to mortal man. Now MacArthur was commenting on this and he said, Even in heaven, we will not see God in his infinity, but with our sin removed, we will have a greater capacity to see the revelation of God. We're not going to see him in his infinity. We have seen that the new heavens and the new earth that God will make will be, God will light all of heaven. He will light the new heavens and the new earth, and the new Jerusalem will reflect that light. And glory. Now, if we look at a couple verses, Matthew 5 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that word means you will see you will see for yourself God. It will become a reality. In that part of the world, in the courts where the kings lived and and reigned, you couldn't just go walking in there as guy off the street and says, hey, I'm going to go see King David today. Uh, no, you're not. It was a rare privilege for anyone to have an audience with the king. But in Psalm 42, 1-2, it says this, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And in John 14, when Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled, I go to prepare a place for you. In verse 8, Thomas said, Show us the Father. To which Jesus responded, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So in this life, we see God not with the physical eye. We see with the heart. We see with the mind. We see God moving in history. We see him moving in circumstances. We see him in creation. We see him in his grace. We see him in his mercy. And this is all going to be different in heaven. When we compare Exodus 33, when you couldn't see God, when God told Moses, turn around, you can see my glory after I pass, to Revelation 22, Verse 3 and 4, where we read, And the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall worship him. They will see his face. You know, what Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 1, and what John saw in Revelation 4, we will see. We will be in the place of Revelation 21 and 22. John Calvin said this, 
He said, Our glory will not be so perfect as to be able to comprehend the Lord in his absolute Godhead. Even at the last, there will remain an impassable difference between himself and us. We're not going to be God. But we will see him as he is. We will see God in his glory. 1 Corinthians 15.28 says that God will be all and in all. And the other thing is we're going to comprehend what we see. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says this. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know just know fully just as I have fully known. We will see clearly and we will understand in heaven. David had the same hope in Psalm 17:15 where he said, "As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness." And when we see him, we're going to be completely satisfied. Have, you, have I ever thought of that that way? Or have you ever thought of it that way? Total satisfaction will be to know God, to see his glory, to know Christ, to see him and to be like him. Heaven will provide that for us. The hymn writer named Carrie Breck, she was pretty right on when she penned a, a hymn many of you probably know I, I found a real good recording of it on YouTube and I went back to try to find it last night and this morning and I can't I found other ones but I didn't like them face to face with Christ my Savior face to face what will it be when with rapture I behold him Jesus Christ who died for me the second verse is only faintly now I see him with the darkling veil between but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky face to face in all his glory I will see him by and by that gives us a little more glimpse of heaven let's pray